0: Well, it's kind of
1: freaking nutty in here, pal.
0: Yeah, I can't I can't see out of this eye anymore.
1: Damn, mate.
0: Like 2 years. 2 years? Yeah. Yeah. My wife <laughs> yesterday we were watching a Steeler game and I'm going like this, looking cuz I could see shadows. Like okay. I could see more than I normally could okay. out of that eye. And she goes, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, just I said I can I can see like more shadows. I said, I can actually see better than I normally can out of that eye. Right. And she goes, What do you mean? I said, I said What do you mean? What do I mean? And she goes, Can't you see out of that eye? And I'm like, No. I'm like, I'm like that's why my eye that eye drifts. I said
1: and how long have you been married? I'm like I'm like, I'm like I'm like, really?
0: I'm like And she goes, How are you driving? I said Carefully, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, I've been able to see out of my right eye. I said, "Where do I drive to?" I said, "I go to work." I said, "I don't go more than like
1: that's great, that's great.
0: ten miles from here." That's great, man. <laughs>
1: Dave, I appreciate you doing this, man. Sure. <laughs> I I don't even know where to begin. So <laughs> so there's like this long tapestry of crazy stuff that we've been involved with over the years. It's just uh, it's absolutely nutty. You and I met. I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Over a guitar purchase. Yes. When Boogie Street was in its infancy, mm-hmm. I want to say it was '99 ish, maybe 2000, maybe something like that.
0: Yeah, it had to be had to be roughly in that time frame. I
1: think and you bought a Paul Reed Smith, I believe. Yeah. And I'm guessing he doesn't have it anymore. I don't have
0: it anymore. And it's funny, you know, the guitar, I believe it was a a custom 24. It was? Yes. Was it it yellow amber? It was, but Uh I looked at the pictures, I thought it was red. Uh Or like a root beer type of color. And then I got it... You still bought it? I still bought it, yeah, because it was, you know, it was what I was looking for. And the colors on all of them back then were, I mean, they were, if it was a tentop it was
1: yeah exactly that was, a, that was if a it, was a
0: tentop, it was a ten top, it was a ten tentop I there was no disputing that? whether you know they mislabeled it correct
1: yeah. correct yeah so at the time you were somewhat winding down pittsburgh pinball would that be about right you're in the process of moving the operation to your location as opposed to having a retail space yes is that correct
0: Yes, it was, uh, I had closed the retail location, and I was kind of, we were doing more of an internet-based sales thing, because we were doing a lot of shipping and stuff at that point. Uh-huh. So it really didn't make sense to have, I just wasn't getting like the walk-in traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just made more sense to.
1: So Pittsburgh Pinball, mm-hmm. how did that start?
0: It started... I started off as a pinball collector. Okay. Pinball machines and arcade games and stuff like that. Just stuff I remembered. As a kid? I remembered as a kid, yeah. Playing in the arcades and the fun and games and the boardwalks on vacation, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then, um, you know, I started collecting them. And from the places that were available to buy them locally, I just wasn't real happy with the experience, I guess. We'll put Mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. And I thought... I can do this better. <laughs> like, I can do this better as a hobby and probably start a business doing it.
1: And when was this approximately?
0: That would have been 97. Okay. Yeah, probably around 97. Okay. In uh, 97, I went out and um, I found a location up on West Liberty Avenue in in Dormont. And uh, I believe my first wife at the time was out of town and when she came home, I had leased a building that was going to house Pittsburgh pinball and filled out all the paperwork with the state for, you know, fictitious, fictitious name, name. Amen, sales tax license and all the things you need to do in order to start a business.
1: Yes, so the hobby grew into a business.
0: <laughs> yes, that was that was kind of how that all started. So,
1: when you decide to lease the space, mm-hmm. how, do you remember how many games you had in your possession at that moment? Approximately.
0: Approximately, there were probably sixteen, seventeen pinball machines that were currently sitting in my garage that I had bought in order to refurbish and resell.
1: So were you doing the refurbishing yourself?
0: Yes. Yeah, just from uh, – it's kind of a trait that I had picked up from working on my own stuff. Uh, there weren't really a lot of – well, there wasn't really YouTube or any of that kind of stuff no. at the time. Uh, there was – a lot of contacts I had made through the old news groups that used to yeah. be available on yeah. things when the web was young. Yeah, when the web was young. Yeah, so a lot of news groups. There was a pinball rec or something like that. Where
1: now you're dating yourself. Yeah,
0: bro. there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of guys that would post useful knowledge on. You know, you could put a question up there, and they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, you need to, you know, replace this diode on this board." That's so and, cool. Though. Yeah, I mean that it was it was old school stuff. You would get the schematics out. I learned how to do some basic electrical wiring at the time, and how to read a schematic and use a multimeter to determine whether the voltages were right. And
1: so, would you say in 99, 90, well, 97 or so, mm-hmm. pinballs were had already seen their heyday because video games had yeah. always taken over. Yeah. So, but they were still rather plentiful. Some plentiful.
0: There were still – yeah, there were still a lot out there. There was You would still see them in like bars and uh-huh. restaurants 100%. or places like that. There weren't – usually they were, you know, half the lights were burnt out and, you know, the f- one flipper wouldn't work. And, you know, after you put your money in it, you'd be like, oh, this sucks because, <laughs> you <laughs> You're know, screwed. you don't get the experience when most of the <laughs> crap on it doesn't work. You know, that was, that was the thing I had to explain to a lot of customers when I started uh, selling pinball machines that, look, you – You need to kind of be like a car mechanic if you're buying a pinball machine. It's not something you just buy and play and enjoy. It's something you have to maintain and work on. Like
1: if you're a vintage car collector, you should have an aptitude for car repair, I would think, right? Generally. Unless you're uber wealthy. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. You you are either going to have to know how to open the game up to change some light bulbs, maybe check a fuse, you know, clean it off once in a while at the very least or have someone available to you that knows how to do that. Cause at some point it's gonna break. Uh-huh. You know, you can't, <laughs> if I sell you a game, don't call me in three years and go, you know what, half <laughs> these lights don't work. <laughs> yeah, they burn out. Could you Imagine <laughs>
1: trying to do this today with the expectations that Amazon has put on the consumer now of like immediacy and the, you know, free unanswered exchanges and all the nonsense we it, couldn't have it, done what we did.
0: It, well, even keep you know? in mind, we're talking back in the 90s, uh-huh. late 90s. Uh-huh. Shipping a pinball machine, say, from Pennsylvania to California, you know, depending on the level of service you're looking at, you're looking at shipping costs back then of anywhere from 150 to, you know, if you're getting kid glove care where someone's going to bring it in and set it up for you, right. you know, it's like a $300 shipping charge. And even back then, people were like, "Oh, can you throw in free shipping?" <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, I can. I, so, I can. I can. I can charge you exactly I'm, the discounted I, price we're getting charged. But uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I remember that. Not a client tell me, "Can you can you throw in the shipping?" I said, "I could." Yeah, <laughs> but I. Am- won't. i won't <laughs> yes. how about if i charge you the same price that i have to pay i won't for mark shipping? it up on you yeah uh where would you find pinball machines in 97 like we're l- finding inventory how'd that work right. out
0: initially back then um people would buy vendors that would put them on location in places like that for business purposes you would buy them there was a distributor network throughout the country So depending on what area of the country you were in, if you wanted a Bally or Williams game, you know, they would tell you, okay, you need to buy it from this certain distributor, you know, that's located in, you know, Pennsylvania or in West Virginia or whatever, you know, depending on where you physically were at. Um, So initially I started off, there was a couple local distributors here. There was a Bets and Distributing and Green Coin and yeah, 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 even yeah. Cleveland Coin at one point had a location here okay. in Pennsylvania. So, you know, I could go there and see what was in their warehouse and buy the stuff, you know, wholesale from them. And, of course, the stuff that's in their warehouse, it's stuff, most of it was, you know, it was broke in some sort of manner. It needed... It needed gone over. You had to fix all the stuff that was broke. You hoped there wasn't anything too major that was broke.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You know, you could check them out before you bought it so you had a you know, rough idea what kind of garbage you were buying.
1: Right, right, um, right.
0: But that's initially where I would get them. And then just over time, I realized that uh, overseas, a lot of the stuff had been exported over to Europe.
1: Mm-hmm. Um well, on that thought, I remember you called me on the phone. It's like about four or five months into our friendship. Yeah. And you have a crazy question. What are you doing this weekend? And I go, oh, I'm kind of stuck doing this. I had a family thing I had to do. I yeah. couldn't get out of. Like, okay, I was just asking because I wanted to know if you wanted to go to, I think it was Belgium. Yeah, I'm going to get on a plane and go <laughs> to Belgium. And I'm going to come back on a, I'm going to come back like two days from now. I'm like, wait, 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 what?
0: It was a quick weekend it's trip. so <laughs>
1: Next thing I know, you're in Belgium, and and you had this crazy experience of going into a castle, and like you were a little worried about getting getting abducted, and <laughs> am I going to make it home? And he wants to drag me on a trip like that.
0: Yeah, That was great. <laughs> it seemed like a great idea at the time. You know? I, I my... Am uh, I right? Is that yeah, pretty accurate? That's pretty accurate. Was, you know, I made contact with some people over in Europe, and, you know, I had a list and pictures of all these games that were available and they were in really nice shape but i didn't want to just send them the money and hope they showed up Uh i figured you know what this is worth my time excuse me to you know get on a plane and go check out to make sure this is legit plus i hadn't been to belgium so (laughs) you know why not got a passport and uh you know this was Still in the late '90s, before the you know before 9/11 had occurred and I think all this that. It was stuff.
1: 2000, I think.
0: That's probably around, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I I called another friend of mine. And he's like, "Sure, I'll okay. go." I said, "Hey, I'm paying for the tickets." And he goes, "You belt like <laughs> Brussels in Europe," and I'm like, "Yeah." And I this said, is before
1: I, you you didn't need a passport then.
0: Still needed a passport. Oh, did you? Yeah, had a passport. It um, said, so my other buddy, and then he's like, what do I need? I said, nothing. I'll, I'll get the tickets and hotel and, you know, we'll be back like Sunday sometime. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we went. Now, I, I throw, throw some clothes in a duffel bag. I throw tools in a duffel bag, talking like box wrench, socket set, all this kind of stuff. Walk through security with all that stuff. They check it. They don't care. Keep nope. going along. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I said, pre pre nine eleven. different world. Man. It was a very different world. The fact that you know I could uh, carry a whole duffel bag full of tools with me on board the airplane that I was stowing in in the overhead, and uh, we, we went over and. Made, so made about some, the,
1: the, some some shady characters picked you up and drove you to this castle or some bullshit. Is guy, that right? Yeah, I'm going on memory. Yeah,
0: yeah, we got picked up. <clears throat> got picked, we got to the airport and came through customs and all that stuff. And there's guys standing there with a the sign says Bishop. You know, we went with him. We get this little little freaking car you know because that day, there was a bunch of little cars over there you know it's like a chevette so <laughs> you and my buddy are in the back of this car and we're driving and driving you're seeing castles it looks like transylvania <laughs> you know you fly into brussels it looks like it looks like pittsburgh international it, you know it doesn't look any different and then all of a sudden it's so cobblestone it's cobblestone roads and big gothic churches and there's a bar and a gothic church it's like it's like the european version of carnegie Oh, uh, right on. Yeah. yeah. Right, so, on. right on. Yeah. So we go over, we check in the hotel, next guy day guy picks us up, we go to this warehouse and yeah, I meet these guys, big burly guy wearing like a big fur coat and stuff, and you know, he's the Belgian mob. He's speaking whatever he was speaking, I didn't know. <laughs> and the guy's translating and I'm like, Okay, these look pretty good. And he's like, All right, you have to help us, you know, we gotta break them down. They're coming tomorrow to load them into the container. And I'm like okay, I've broken down machines before. So, you know, we helped them load them up. Seen them the up. working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I ended up working, loading them into the container with a forklift, all that kind of thing. And then a uh, you know, truck came, took the container off. And this was to, like a castle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, they took off the stuff down to port. I think it was Antwerp was the closest port yeah. that they shipped out of. Yeah. And put on an ocean container and sent them back to New York where they were then trucked up this way. Was, How long um, did it
1: take to get here?
0: I think they showed up it was probably like two weeks after okay. I was there. Okay. You know, but the stuff that came in was in immaculate shape.
1: I remember you telling me that, yeah.
0: Compared to the stuff that was here. Like we were I I had a, a bunch of Adams family pinball machines, and it was all, all stuff that were like high-end games here that everybody wanted. Right. And they were just they were in the bars and stuff over there, but they were actually taken care of. So they maybe came. not used as much. <sighs> they had they have play meters on them, so like okay. the play counts were similar to what they would see here. They were actually higher than what you would see here, and I think it was just that the vendors that used them over there made sure they were constantly working. And all the you know all the stuff on them would work as opposed
1: to in the states as the opposed bars to here. Yeah, abused.
0: yeah, you don't make any money on a pinball machine if only one flipper's working because someone will <laughs> play it, and then the people that might want to play it are looking and they see oh it doesn't work, so you know it sits there and collects coats and cigarette butts and whatever, <laughs> whatever else. But yeah, I uh,
1: I remember when you moved the business to so, so Dave resided in a rather large house. <laughs> It's probably the largest house I had ever seen in my life up to that point. And it was a massive, I think it was a three-car garage, which is a very big garage. But this garage was big. But when I came to see you, and it had been after the move had taken place, the garage was absolutely full of pinball machines. Mm -hmm. I could not believe you jammed that much stuff in a garage. I'm sure your neighbor's couldn't believe it either
0: but well, they weren't real happy <laughs> <laughs> there were and some I, issues about you know running a business from your home well, and-
1: yeah man and i think with our commonality had was i was kind of doing the same damn thing mm-hmm. with just guitars and busting yeah. out of the seams of where i was yeah. and worried about the neighbors pointing me out and yeah. a, a lot of similarities in regards to collectors markets mm-hmm. and you know, just a lot of you know different different products naturally, mm-hmm. but I remember seeing how much work had to go into what you were doing, the complexity of each product and the parts and the all that stuff, which mm-hmm. was way above my pay grade. I'm like, oh man, I'm glad my guitars got like five or six parts on it. I mm-hmm. got to handle that. Yeah, yeah. But this whole busting down and you know a gorgar pinball machine and putting, putting, finding little. Bumpers, and it just seemed like an incredible amount of work to me.
0: It was a lot of work. It was uh, unfortunately, you know, that it kind of took away some of the fun from the hobby because, you know, one of those things. If you are going to get into a business, it has to be something that you definitely enjoy, Mm -hmm. but you don't want it to suck the joy out of it. Out of that that item, yeah. I mean, you know, after after spending all day working on the machines to get them ready and then shipping them and then taking them to the shipper and all that kind of stuff, you know, coming home and having to work on my own stuff before I could play, it wasn't such a great thing. Plus, I was working a full-time job at the same time. Right. You know, so it was running the business with a couple employees, working a full-time job. and. Yeah, a little, little bit of a little bit of a grind. It was a good thing I was much healthier and much younger. Oh, right at the on. Time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah, it was easy. Um,
1: <laughs> you, I think you brought up a big point, though. Like, that's the one thing that I didn't plan for, and that was that one of the things that I absolutely loved was music in general, but specifically mm-hmm. guitars. Yeah. I fell in love with the instrument, you know, a couple years before I actually got in the business. Yeah but i love that instrument so much it just it was just meant to be but after 5 or 7 years 8 years of being in the business you know i didn't want to touch my guitars at home i didn't yeah. want to enjoy them for me yep. i was the joy was getting sucked out of it yep.
0: Yep.
1: you know and, it ha- and i i get it
0: yeah you just start it becomes more of a chore than a level of enjoyment. It reminds it you of work. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like more work where, you know, you pick up that guitar and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're doing scales because you're checking it to make sure the pickups are working and it's in tune. I feel like I'm at work. Or you're like, okay, I have to do, I do that all yeah. the time
1: on the stuff I work on. 100%. Versus,
0: that, you know, I, it, I just it, want
1: to sit here and jam. It got, <laughs> even vis- well, it got visceral after a while for me. Like, I just didn't even want to look at them. I didn't want to have any guitars at yeah. home because I... Yeah. You know, And then when, when life really started slamming me and I was living in the back of my office for a couple of years, I could yeah. not escape it.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: I mean, but but I think that's a trap. I think when people are lucky enough to start a business where it is their hobby, that's a danger.
0: You uh, absolutely. You know, it became
1: your hobby because you love it. Yeah. Be careful not to let that work element just suck the joy out
0: of it. Right. And depending on what you're doing, I mean, some stuff is so labor-intensive that –
1: I don't know how you did it. Like that, that, that was amazing to me. I think you had a couple different guys coming and going to uh, helping here and there. But, and you were also holding down a full time, you know, contracting, uh, you know, programming gig and everything Mm -hmm. else that was going on. And, you know, in your personal life too, it was was as turbulent as mine was. Yep. So I remember that. But I just thought it was just absolutely so cool that there was such a cool collector's market for pinballs. And I realized that it could be lucrative, but. Man, that was just, a lot that of was something. Yeah, now, you ultimately got out of the business because hard to find inventory?
0: Parts? Well, it was...
1: Uh, or you just had enough?
0: Kind of all of the above and the economy crashed.
1: Okay, so what would this be like, the late 2000s? So it would have been... Seven, 2007, something like that. It was
0: around 2000, yeah, around 2007, 2008, when the real estate...
1: Oh, I remember. Bubble
0: burst. Yeah. And, you know, businesses were closing. People didn't have the money. The dot-com stuff had kind of like oh, yeah. the roof had burst off of that. Oh, I know. So a lot of people's extra income wasn't available for the pinball machines was one of the biggest problems. Um, and even prior to that, like I had I had scaled things back. I was a, kind of a one-man show by this point, I cut it back because it was just, it was too much with everything that was going on with, uh, you know, personal life and working a full-time job, plus doing this, plus mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. trying to, just trying to live, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, have a semblance of a life on top of, oh, you know, constantly working this job or that job. Um, you know, I'd scaled back and, you know, I, I kind of focused for a while. I was the largest super Czech bubble hockey dealer in the country. Wow. For several years.
1: That I remember.
0: Yeah, yeah. That I
1: remember. Yeah, and that was. You sold a lot of bubble hockey machines.
0: I sold it, Han. Yeah. There was one year I think we moved probably about 160. Wow. Bubble checks. Wow. Dome hockey games, and they weren't cheap. They were, I think, retail on them back then was around twenty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was same type of thing. I mean, that was kind of. Starting to run its course and, you know, the distributor that made them eventually decided that they were going to also sell direct and instead of, you know, selling direct at the same price we were selling them at retail, they decided to sell them at the same price as what our dealer cost was at the time. So it didn't really make sense for us, you know, some of the other outlying dealers to even bother carrying them anymore. Yeah,
1: the dealers got squeezed. Yeah. And and, and I think the economy started that process. Yeah. I mean, having done the guitar end, too, I can remember uh, when the economy started going south, it was like a double whammy. Like, all this disposable income that my collectors had for the higher-end pieces, they were worried about their 401ks and investments. Yep the dollar unfortunately remained extremely strong overseas mm-hmm. which prohibited pres- a lot of my international customers to buy because they couldn't get a good exchange rate right all at one time and then here the manufacturers were pulling getting getting tighter and actually considering going direct to the public because they thought the web could squeeze the dealers out
0: right right
1: you know so it was like a, kind of like the perfect storm of dysfunction for a while
0: <laughs> that's pretty you much know? what we described it as too
1: pretty much so you I, I remember the day you came and said i think i am going to find another retail space and <laughs> get into the comic book business it made total sense to me i'm probably one of the few people in your life that it just made that made complete yeah. sense but i was like we are like in one of the worst economies <laughs> in probably at least a two decades or at yeah. least a Two decades, they, they, early nineties, they, right?
0: Yeah, they had even said like you know it was equivalent to like what was going on depression era, yeah, type of thing. And I'm thinking you're gonna, and you're gonna and
1: you're gonna start a retail business for collectibles,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: so it wasn't I didn't think you should. I just thought yeah. that takes some balls. Cause <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> you know, yeah. But I. I've, and the one thing about you that I always admire was, like, there was never any bullshit with you. If you were going to do something... I'd do it. Yes. And see, I think that's where we connected on it. Like, we yeah. just love to take action, do shit. And, yeah. so, and throwing caution to the wind sometimes in the essence that, hey, if it doesn't work, I'll figure it out. Because I think that you have to... Yeah. I don't think everyone's cut like that. You know, So no. when you find another human being that's kind of cut with that mentality, right? Here's our, so this guy's a risk taker. He's willing to... He's want to take that chance and do it, figuring if it doesn't work out, he, he, he's confident. He'll figure it out. He'll figure something else out.
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of that came from, you know, what I learned during the Pittsburgh pinball days. I learned, if anything, I learned from my first business that I had started what not to do. I mean, you know, I, I, there was a lot of great times with Pittsburgh pinball, but there was a lot of bad times. There was a lot of really, really bad decisions that I were made. I remember a couple of
1: guys that came in to work, to work some yeah. stuff for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There, was,
0: there was just some horrible decisions that I made during that time. And, you know, and, uh, you know that, that definitely has made moving into other businesses as well as, you know, advising people. I've had a lot of people ask me things about, you know, hey, I'm thinking about starting this business. Do you think I should do this and this and this? And I've been able to honestly tell them, you know, my thoughts on that and give them some good advice based on mistakes I've made.
1: Yeah, and see, I think that's another area where we've always connected, too, is our willingness to share experiences humbly. Like, I yeah. I never had any problem at all, yeah. even as difficult as it was sometimes, revealing my mistakes if I thought there was going to be a benefit to someone else hearing it. Sure. And I think that's the right way to go about things. Sure. Not everybody does that, unfortunately. But no. I think that's, but, and I think it's actually rare, to be yeah. honest with you.
0: And it's worked out well for us because neither one of us would hesitate to tell the other, that's the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard.
1: Yeah. I'm I like,
0: and, but, you know, but if we can justify that then oh, to each other, that's, 100%. You know, and yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, I, I, I didn't see it that way, but that kind of makes well, sense. That's
1: what I think. I came to you five or six yeah. months into you opening over there because I, never being a comic book fan, mm-hmm. I mean I love the movies and things, sure. but I never collected the actual books. I didn't understand the market. I didn't mm-hmm. understand the actual industry. Sure. So it would be naive for me to figure that. Hey, well I know that he shouldn't be doing this. I just knew <laughs> that it, I knew that on premise it sounded like a difficult. Thing, especially because of the era we were doing it in. Right. But, man, when I came over five or six months, and there's like this whole, not five or six months, I think it was five or six weeks. Yeah. The moment you opened, there was a store in the middle of, of all places, Swickley, Pennsylvania, probably <laughs> the least likely spot one would initially think about a comic book store in. Mm-hmm. And you were there, and there was racks, and there was all these dealer arrangements, and there was inventory coming in, and, and the, the freaking place was full of customers. Yeah. I'm like, Dave, what the hell are you doing over here? And you go, I told you I was going to open up a store. I'm like, (laughs) I thought you were thinking about opening a store. There's like a story here. And I'm like, well, yeah, I told you. And then I happened to find a space the next day and I got it. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, holy shit.
0: Well, the funny part about that That is, like, I had actually done research into doing that probably for about a year before I did. Like, it came to me one day where I'm like, boy, that would be really cool to do. What's involved in this? And then I, you know, got some research and I found out, you know, where the distributors are, what the costs are involved. And then I actually started asking a little more detailed questions at some of the comic shops I I was buying, you know, my stuff from, you know, just to get an idea as to, you know, is this really worth doing okay. or is this going to be something that – it's going to be so overwhelmingly, so much work to make, you know, nickels. Got it. Got and, it. Uh, you know, I think at the time I came to you, I'm like, yeah, I think I could do this. And then, you know, it was with, <laughs> like after I told you about it, I think it was like the next week. I was like an eye doctor appointment. That, that was it. That was it. Huh. This place has been vacant for a while. I bet I can get in a- Swickley. In Swickley, yeah. I'm like, I'll bet that I can
1: uh, <laughs> maybe get
0: a deal on it. And I, you know, I had my brother-in-law come down. He's an architect, and had him come down and look at the place and said, "Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to knock out that wall, that wall, and that wall, and just open the whole place up." He goes, I said, can I do that without the building falling down? <laughs> and he
1: Especially me. because wasn't well, his building. And he, <laughs> looked, and he goes,
0: that's a pretty good idea. He goes, that'll really open it up. And, you know, you get a whole f- open floor plan. Yeah, but it almost thing.
1: happened overnight. Like, I mean, you were in there quick.
0: Yeah, when I was ready to go, it was, it's go time. I don't, uh, if I make a decision or I say I'm going to do something, it's not like, eh, you know, I, I'm going to do this. I'd like to do it in five years <laughs> it's
1: why it's, do you think though in general that seems to be the biggest sticking point with people that have entrepreneurialship ideas is it just simply fear
0: i would say so yeah i mean because if you're going to go all in on something there's always that fear that you know this is going to be a complete disaster and i had those days you know when i i opened the store i'm like I don't know. Is anybody going to come in? Are we going to have our local customers? Are we going to get repeat customers? Where are these people going to come from? You know, and I, I opened up in that area knowing that I was probably roughly 20 miles from most other stores. You know, I was far enough away that I wasn't really getting into someone else's territory. Okay. If you know what I mean? Cuz okay. you know, I I wasn't really looking to put someone else out of business or take away someone's business or any, you know, anything like that. It it was I was in an area where I didn't have a close local shop. Right? Which was part of the reason I thought, you yeah, know, this probably a, a good place to do it and it's something I'm interested in. You know, at the time I was driving 30 to 45 minutes to my closest comic shop to you know, to right, buy stuff from them.
1: Right, 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 The, um, so that was 2009, correct?
0: Around 2009 is when I probably was telling you, hey, I think I'm gonna do this. And we were, lease was signed and I was open 2010.
1: So do you remember what month that was?
0: It was in May.
1: May of 2010.
0: Yeah, May of, two, it was probably, I probably had the lease signed by April. And I was probably in talks with the landlord by March. Um, by the time I got the contractor in there to do what I needed to get done and our first shipments of, you know, racking and all that type yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. That was showing up during May. And then it was actually uh, in time for the Memorial Day Parade. That,
1: that I went to that, 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 that I, and I brought the, my camera. I remember filming that. And that, I was, that was introduced to the, Pits, the Steel City Ghostbusters that day. Yeah. And well, there's
0: let me think. That was actually
1: or the next year. Was no, 11. that
0: that was that year, but that would have been later that summer Labor day. During their Harvest Festival. Okay. Yeah, that's when I invited the Steel City Ghostbusters down.
1: But there also there was this massive like three story <laughs> like Stay Puff Marshmallow Man there. I have the photos. Yes. I yeah. have the proof. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 We had that. Uh,
0: that was part of the deal of bringing them down, was having the State uh, Staypuff Marshmallow Man and I'm walking. planted in front of the store. For so the, I, so for I'm the not festival. real
1: familiar with Swiggly PA. So I'm like trying to find a parking space. And this festival they're having, which is tons of people. So I parked like blocks and blocks away. And I'm walking. And as I'm walking, I'm like seeing like up above the buildings, this big white inflatable. I think that's kind of. I couldn't tell what it was. And that's because <laughs> I'm coming from behind. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I wonder what the hell they got over there. You know, and sure enough, I turned the corner. And it's in front of your store. I'm thinking you got to be shitting me. <laughs> what a freaking! <laughs> he, just a, of, course, attract- of course, Dave did that.
0: It attracted attention. Of course,
1: Dave did that.
0: You know what makes more sense? You know, it's uh, middle of a festival. Let's put a 30-foot marshmallow man in front of the place and have Ghostbusters running around town. It's like you yeah, know. Yeah, that was just nuts. A year later, they had their. Uh, they were having the Swickley Soup Crawl, and I brought in uh, Larry Thomas, the Soup Nazi from I, Seinfeld, as a guest at the store.
1: I cannot tell you how many people <laughs> over the years have told me that when Seinfeld invariably comes up in conversation. They say, oh, I think it was like the early 2010s. There was a thing over in Swickley, and I went over and talked about the Soup Nazi. I'm like, listen, my friend actually was <laughs> the one who coordinated that and brought the Soup Nazi mm-hmm. in. I mean I mean multiple people have randomly just told me they were hanging out with the suit Nazi in the early two thousand tens in yeah. Swickley. Yep. And I'm like, oh God, of course they did that.
0: Good times. Good times. <laughs>
1: but it was it had nothing to do with comic books, but it made all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the way you think about promotion, it made all the sense in the world.
0: Yeah. Well that's funny because, you know, there's there's a, a line of thought on promotion that, you know, it always has to be something specific to what your business uh-huh. is. But, you know, if you're trying to bring in new customers, sometimes you just got to think out of the box a little bit. It's like, you know, if there's something popular. Yeah. And then, you know, that can draw people into the store. And, you know, suddenly they're like, oh, check this out. I, I didn't know this existed. This is awesome. This exactly is cool. Exactly right. And that's why we do... We do the wine walk, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, we're not a wine store, we're but, you know, a friend of mine that worked at one of the country clubs. He comes down in his tux, pours wine for the, for the women and men that you know come out on the wine walk. We have a great time that night. It's yep. not, it's not really lucrative that night for for sales, to be honest with you. But I see a lot of those people back. You know, it's it's leading it's, up it's, to
1: Christmas. It's time. branding and relationships, right? Yeah,
0: people remember. They're of like, course. I was in that shop and. They had those Ghostbuster Proton packs for sale sitting on the shelf and there was a Darth Vader mask and you know and they have all these comic books did you know comic books can be worth thousands of dollars and you know it's funny you know
1: So would you say part of the experience is kind of educating the general public about what oh, the, the whole market is
0: Absolutely Absolutely You know it kind of it, it it's kind of a weird misnomer but a lot of people are like Oh, you must get a lot of people in because of all the movies. It's not really the case. You know, It's it's some people may recognize some of the stuff on the shelves because of the movies. Okay. But the movies don't really drive anyone to go, you know what? I'm going to start buying Avengers comic books. Okay. You know, I like the movie. Maybe, you know, they may check them out, but, you know, it, it, it's weird that that doesn't really drive any big influx in sales.
1: The uh, so what about some of the other collectibles like uh, like the the figurines um, just trinkets movie trinkets does that stuff drive it
0: that does yeah yeah there's uh, we sell the hot toys hot toys six scale collectible figures which you know I primarily they're involved they make highly detailed figures in Japan okay for several different genres and I'll pre- pretty much stick with like any of the Marvel, DC, or Star Wars figures they do. Okay. They do these crazy, they're 12 inch figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highly detailed, lots of accessories. And with like the face sculpts that they do on them, it looks, it's, yeah, it's a splitting image of like whoever the actor was that played that person.
1: All I know is in 2010 or so, I was in there and you had this figurine of this woman. I just got fixated on this figurine. I just couldn't get it out of my head. I don't know if it was... It wasn't Supergirl. It was a red... She was in a red, very form-fitting outfit. She was blonde. I just can't remember what it was now, but my God, that kept... I can, probably back in-
0: Power Girl. Power Girl. It was
1: Power Girl. <laughs>
0: power Girl is a very popular figure. <laughs> yeah,
1: I yeah I made a yes. made a yeah it, it was it certainly was captivating.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> she's, she's known for there's a, a a cutout that is at the top of her shirt, known as the Power Girl window. Power
1: Girl. Yes. Yes, yes the Power Girl. Yes. What. If, if you had to trace back in your past, mm-hmm. going back to when you were young, was there a moment in time that might have planted the seed of you wanting to do entrepreneurship?
0: Probably a lot of that probably goes back to my dad. Um, you know, my dad, he, growing up, my dad worked for United Airlines. He worked for them. He, was, he worked with their ramp service department here in Pittsburgh, was with them probably 40 years you know probably from the time he got the job until he retired um but during that time he also owned a landscaping company which you know it started off it was probably him and a buddy of his with a you know pickup and a couple mowers and you know by the time i was nine we were the he had the biggest landscaping company in the south hills you know ron bishop lawn service trucks were all over the place we did a lot of the uh a lot of the borough mm-hmm. parks and recreational facilities and things like that um you know i started working for my dad back when i was 9 you know it was kind of one of those things like oh you want this you know atari system video game thing and i'm like as well how about this? We'll put you to work. He goes, you can uh, you come out and give us a hand and uh, you know pick up these sticks and this garbage and these parks that we gotta cut the grass at and um, you know I'll pay you, uh, we'll give you two bucks an hour. <laughs> Sounds I rem- great. I remember those I, days. I'm like, oh, I, you know, it's if I work x amount of hours, I'll be able to go buy buy that Atari game. Uh, you know, that's uh-huh. that's kind of how it started. But you know, my dad. You know, he, uh, you don't realize these things when you're a kid. But, right. you know, he he worked his butt off so we could do whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time. But, uh, you know, he all those years of working at United oh, yeah. allowed us to yep. travel to some great places on vacation. Plus, he had the landscaping company. You know, I was if a lot we, of work. Yeah. If we lived in a nice house and had things, you know, we went camping on the weekends and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff we did. And it's, you know, it goes back to, you know, working two jobs all that time. And, you know, it was it was pretty rough. He uh, about a year after he retired, he passed away out of the blue, like, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, and that was that was rough because, you know, it was, I was finally at the age where you could say I grew up. Right. You know, right. I right. I was kind of at the age where, you know, suddenly you start to realize real life stuff and, uh-huh. you know, what kind of commitment it takes to do things. And, you know, him and I were just – it was like a lot of time growing up, my dad was – he was my boss, you know, because he wasn't around a lot, but it was because he was constantly working so Correct. we could do whatever we wanted. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until shortly before he died where him and I just – kind of started to be friends and really get to know each other again.
1: Yeah, any any did that change your philosophy about life at all seeing someone pass so soon after retirement?
0: Yes. <laughs> it was uh it was it was kind of eye-opening that you know he was just getting to the point where you know he was able to enjoy all the work and stuff he had done. He was going to NASCAR races. And, yeah. You know, they had uh, bought a place in Florida, you know, and he retired. He was going to, you know, get down to Sarasota, Florida, which is where my mom's at now. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, around the time he died, um, I had also already started to have some health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in two thousand. 2002, I went down to the Swickley emergency room one night. I had my uh, soon-to-be wife, Beth, took me down. I thought I had pneumonia and here I was in congestive heart failure. And uh, shortly after, while they were checking me in, next thing I know, I'm laying in the ER and they're telling me and her that, you know, hey, you need to call whoever it is you need to call. We don't know if he's going to make it. you know, and that was that was the first meeting of <laughs> my parents and her parents. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I remember. You know, I I know you got the call I was in from San Diego from Chris, yeah, I think. Yeah, you yep. got the call from Chris yep. and I remember he distinctly. Said, hey, we don't know. Yeah, it was bad. It was uh it was that was rough. I remember going in there and like I said, I couldn't breathe, felt like I just had, they said I had 16 pounds of fluid in my lungs. My pulse ox thing when they checked yeah. here yeah, yeah, yeah. was down below fifty. Yeah, you know it was it was it was bad. I remember the nurse telling me she goes, I don't think you understand, you know the condition you're in. She goes, you're you're in pretty bad shape. And I remember, she said that to you? That's what the nurse said to <laughs> Holy me. Holy crow! And my response to her was, well. Yeah. I'm not a doctor but I get it. I might die. I completely oh, get it. It's terrible to say that. I said that, that's crazy. I'm like I, there's not much I can do about that right now. That's your job. I said so much I'm just for
1: bedside man.
0: I'm just trying not to die here <laughs> oh in, in the ER. <laughs> yeah, that's how that night went. And uh you know, but that that night came down to one thing. It and it's served me well over a long period of time is that when when things are just going nuts, like you just need to breathe.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I mean that's and that night that's all I did was I concentrated laying there on breathing. On I your remember breathing, yep. looking at the pulse ox thing, and I saw that every time I took a big breath, the pulse oxygen would go up a little higher. And they're like, oh, if it goes below, I forget what number they said, but we're going to have to put you on a respirator. And I'm like, I remember thinking to myself, they put me on a respirator. I'm not going to make it. Wow. Um, okay. Like,
1: I never I never heard that.
0: Yeah. That's. Uh,
1: so you actually concentrate on your breathing.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's hey, here he is 20-some
1: years ago, 20, 22 years survived later. Survived so.
0: that? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was but, 20 years ago, Dave. That was 20 years ago. Wow just of heart failure
1: yeah I remember getting the phone call and I yeah. I thought I felt I mean Chris was there and he felt completely helpless and yeah. I'm like on the other side of the country I'm like you gotta be kidding me
0: well there's yeah there was nothing anybody could do we had no indications prior yeah you know I'd been sick with the flu but
1: this was um. if I'm not mis- everybody had the flu I'm you know <laughs> so you then you and Beth I think got married in 2003 yes because I remember, I was also scheduled to go out of town that weekend too, mm-hmm. and I remember coming and seeing you beforehand that right. morning. Mm-hmm. But and I remember driving, leaving your house. I remember, I remember this distinct thought: like, wow, like eight nine months ago, he was like on a verge of like not making it. Yeah, and now you guys are getting freaking married. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then again, it's yeah. like it always seemed like Jim Stewart, my other good friends, got a. he he coined the phrase iron man every time he would see dave he's just iron man because he just you cannot he's always going to be here you can't get him down and you just kept every time you would have a health struggle you just kept pushing along yeah every single time
0: i have survived a lot there was yeah yeah, no doubt that was i've been diabetic since i was 10 so i'm 53 now so for 43 years i've been diabetic but So, in 2002, I would have been, uh, what, I was...
1: 33?
0: Yeah, it was probably, yeah, it was in January. So, it would have been 32 going on 33 and uh, had the congestive heart failure. And that began, uh, that kind of kicked off. My kidneys were starting to Mm -hmm. fail at -hmm. that point. Um, By 2008, I'd been in kidney failure and ended up, I had a kidney transplant, which saved my life back then. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the kidney transplant that kind of kicked me into, okay, I'm back on my feet. Let's, I want to do something I enjoy, which is kind of what led me towards the comic book uh, stuff at okay. that time. Okay. And then, uh, you know, after the, after the kidney transplant, things were kind of cool for a while. And then, you know, next thing I know, uh, was my 49th birthday mm-hmm. and we were gonna have a big big party that day and you know I was sick all night and you know next day I said man I think I have a gallstone or something I said we need to I said I need to get something to help me keep my meds down for you know all the all that stuff and went up and next thing I know uh, my 49th birthday I'm sitting in a hospital room in the ER and they're going oh well, yeah you got a gallstone but you know we were looking at your scans and uh we're pretty sure you have cancer mm-hmm. and i was just like are you fucking kidding it's me? My I'm like, it's my birthday and that's what i told the doctor i'm like really on my birthday you're telling me i have cancer and uh, you know and i thought back to i remember my dad dying and i remember thinking you know he just died out of the blue heart attack yeah i'm like i've had all these symptoms and gone through all this crap prior to this yeah I'm like, I am never, at that point I was, I wasn't even 40 yet. I'm like, I'm never going to see 50. And
1: mm-hmm. then,
0: you know, just to, to be told at my 49th birthday that I had cancer was just a giant kick in the balls. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, no doubt. you know, but. <laughs> here we know, are. Here we are again. <laughs> you know? 2000. Another thing, couple, couple, uh, 22. You know, a couple months. And, you know, I went through, uh. You know, I went down. Fortunately, I'm in one of the best cities in the world for cancer treatment. No doubt. Went to see the doctors down at Hillman. And, you know, we had a really hard conversation with uh, Dr. Farah down there, who's one of the best. And um, after they confirmed the type that I had, mm-hmm. I asked him straight up, you know, what what am I looking at? And he said, without successful treatment, he goes, y- you're not going to last six months.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's a lot of people didn't know that part. But, yeah, you know, I that's. Didn't. Yeah, that's 6 months is what I was told. So we started uh started the first uh treatment that they had thought would be the best course and mm-hmm. after about 6 weeks uh it failed. It it did not uh get me where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thanksgiving was coming up. I, you know, I asked most of my family to be there for Thanksgiving because right. in my head, you know, I'm it was my last supper. I didn't you know, all the stuff that had been stacked against me at that point, I wasn't real hopeful that I was going to make it past Christmas. And, uh, you know, fortunately after I saw Dr. Farah, he said, you know, okay, the first, first round didn't, didn't really cut it He goes, we're going to ramp it up a little bit here. He goes, we're going to bring in the big guns and, and uh he said okay we're gonna start you we're gonna get uh <laughs> he does spinal tap and we're gonna install a chemo port and i'm like oh here we go and uh i said okay well when when do we start that in about a week or so and he goes no you need to come down tomorrow he goes at you know 10 o'clock we're gonna do the spinal tap and then we're just gonna wheel you from there into the into the operating room and do the chemo port and then uh tomorrow we're gonna start chemo and i was like okay <laughs> here we go. So, you know, so we started the chemo and they, uh, that did a number on me. I ended up with, you know, the, it got rid of the cancer. Thank God. You know, that's why I'm still here today. But, um, it did some damage to, you know, have some heart damage Mm -hmm. and it caused some damage to the kidneys. So, you know, we're, we're still dealing with that kind of stuff, but you know, knock on wood, fortunately, the you know that uh, that second round of chemo, you know, knocked the cancer out, and I've been in remission now for about two years. You know,
1: just yes, indeed, my friend. Two
0: years. I'm at the point where uh, you know my last visit, they stretched out my appointments a little further. I'm like on like a nine month rotation now instead it's a of three. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's been a good thing, but you know, unfortunately. It's kind of weird, but the whole, you know, the Iron Man thing and surviving all this stuff, and mm-hmm. it it's definitely taken a huge toll. I mean, I How am, could it not? I'm tired. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. I, I, We're getting old too, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it, you know. I have a few years on yeah, you. Not many. Yeah. Not yeah. many. I, I get pretty run down, but I'm still, you know, still – out there doing what i like to do try to do as much as i can enjoy but you know a lot of people close to me i know when something happens they always think oh he'll be fine he gets through it all and it, it sometimes it just makes it really hard
1: certainly because certainly
0: it's almost like people just expect yeah. the stuff to go away
1: yeah well and, you've well you've been so perseverant right is that a word now, to this point you know right. so it's like right. you almost get the expectation anything Dave. You know, yeah. encounters. He's just oh. gonna like kill it and move on. He'll be fine. Yeah, it's yeah. Dave. Exactly, it's Dave. That's he'll be exact- fine. I can't tell yeah. you how many times I've said that. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But it doesn't lighten the load any.
0: It does not, and that's you know I I don't show it, but it it's,
1: How could it not, Dave?
0: Yeah, that's one of the one of the ongoing kind of funny jokes I have with one of my doctors. he's you know, he'll give me that. Oh well, are you depressed? <laughs> I always look at him and go, you're looking at my file. My file is, my file is this big. I'm like, shouldn't I be depressed? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, because you got a point there. And he's like, well, is it overbearing? I'm like, no, I know I'm I messed up. I'm, I still get up out of bed every day and, you That's know, right. I do what I can do. I said, if I need to take a break, I take a break. Right. I said, it's not, it's not that freaking complicated, but yeah, it sucks.
1: (laughs) So if you were going to give some advice, yes, some very, maybe even esoteric, I don't mean some nuts and bolts accounting or legal advice, but just some general advice to new entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. What are some of the best nuggets that you have based on your experiences? The most important yeah. things. The most important things? Lessons that you've learned.
0: It has to be something that you're truly invested in doing. Okay. Like doing something that you think, oh, I can do this, – this is a way I can make a lot of money. If it's not something that you are truly have some kind of personal interest in, I mean – and I, I – you know, it doesn't have to be something you love or a hobby you want to do. or, But you have to be committed enough to – whatever it is to do it well and and realize that going in it's not going to make you a million dollars maybe ever at the very least not right off the bat you know i've gone into any business i've started knowing i'm probably not going to make a penny i'm probably going to be losing money on a good guess the first several months that the thing is going you know, that's one of the things that you just – you have to realize that there's, the, there's that risk there. You know, you don't go from a full-time job where you collect a paycheck every day and someone else is worrying about that stuff to suddenly being the person and not having to worry about all that stuff that your prior job worried about and mm-hmm. took care of.
1: You know? Would you think, too, that there's more – more misinformation out there now because of social media uh creating an illusion of easy entrepreneurship do you think that's a thing
0: oh absolutely absolutely i get emails and like video links all the time of this is how you can start your business and you can be a millionaire right off the bat. It's not going to cost you anything more than your entry fee of six thousand know? dollars. <laughs> I mean, or you know, whatever. But you, you know, you get the typical. Uh, it it's not an easy drive. It's not something that overnight you just go you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm never going to lose a night of sleep. I'm not going to worry about where my, if I'm going to have money for food or rent or, it's just not how it is. There's nothing that's like that. I mean, you can have a full-time job working for, you know, the longest running company in the world. There's always a chance that suddenly it's not going to be there.
1: Yes. I think employment gives a false sense of security.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's not, there's not any job out there that someone can't lose. And there's not any job out there that you can't be replaced at. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: did you learn that lesson uh, young?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, there, I had a job during uh, one of the programming, computer programming jobs I had. I I was working for a company making really great money, and you know, I thought I was much more than I was. Interesting. And you know i i I said stuff that other employees wish they would have said, but you know it was stuff that uh, it was just wrong you know i made I made mistakes i I was a loud mouth outspoken person about stuff that honestly it wasn't my place to say- mm-hmm. and the fact that I was with that company as long as I was before I was basically asked to leave um Amazes me today. I wouldn't have put up with me today.
1: (laughs) Were you unmanageable? Is that how ultimately you ended up in entrepreneurship?
0: No, I don't think that was the case. Um, Although maybe that's you know maybe that's my ego that has driven me to entrepreneurship. I mean, I've worked uh, I've worked as a member of teams quite successfully for for many things. Um, You know, so I think I I can be a valid team member Mm -hmm. and don't not necessarily have to be in charge.
1: It probably wasn't your first preference though.
0: I don't know. You know, I, I tend to think that, you know, maybe I went more towards entrepreneurship after, working at several places and thinking, if I was in charge, I could do it better.
1: You don't say. Yes. I concur. Yes. You know, if, yeah,
0: I mean, and, and, you know, maybe that's something that all of us have. And, you know, some people are content just being you know, a member of the team. And that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. You know, there's a lot less stress involved than that, I would say, at times. But uh you know, I'm I'm not cut that way. I I have always been kind of a, okay, if we need to do something, let's do it, let's get it done. Let's you know, don't let's not sit around and talk about it for eighteen months and not accomplish anything. Let's right. you know. If the garage needs painted, let's get it painted. Go buy the paint and paint the wall, you know, which isn't what happened with my garage, but, you know, that. <laughs> you know, sort of along those ways. I,
1: I, I think there's a, um, I mean, this is just one man's opinion. Sure. But I think with entrepreneurs in general, whether they're, <clears throat> Uh, somebody running, uh, I don't know, a small piece of shop all the way up to Elon Musk. You put those people in the same room. There's similar, similarities. I think a spark is in there. Mm-hmm. That is just something different. I just think there's something different, whether it's a pushback against maybe authority or being told what to do or uh, the, maybe the lore of unlimited the unlimited income or more than standard income, the opportunity to be paid based upon your own efforts beyond a formal structure of a corporation. You know, I think there's just that one. Okay. Now, and I, I think the spark is probably different in everybody, but there's gotta be some similarities. I think I, I would I, have, entrepreneurs yeah, are wired differently.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, there's always that, uh, you know, I guess like I like I said sometimes you just look at stuff and go I could do this better. This doesn't make any sense to do it this way, but yet we keep doing it this way. Is that
1: what you said when you started Pittsburgh Pinball? Was the spark that's the opportunity or that's the location I have to acquire pinballs potentially for my hobby and I see that I can do that better? Was that the main thing for you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely part of it. Yeah, I had, had a bad experience with another, another person I'd been buying from, and it was basically "fuck you." I can do this better. Yeah. And I did for quite some time.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I had some of that too. Um, I my thing was I <laughs> found this cool new hobby called playing the guitar, and I bought a. <laughs> couple online pricey pieces that I quickly realized weren't for me. And I had to get them returned and out of the house before my wife would get the bill at the time. (laughs) That's kind of why. And then I put it on that eBay thing and it worked. So maybe that was the push, but I remember buying one or two of those guitars locally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's a bunch of places here in Pittsburgh. You can do that. So I don't want to out anybody, but my experience was rather poor. And yep. I said, if I know anything, I know it's customer service. I do know customer service, and I didn't get any there. Yep. I wonder what the markup is on this stuff. And then that precipitated me kind of diving in a little more and finding out can I do this online? Because I just made all this. I just, tr- I just wanted to make my money back on these guitars, but they went like you know considerably over the asking price on this eBay mm-hmm. thing. There's a commerce element, yeah. and I thought the customer service stunk. Right, my experience was bad can I create a better experience for the customer and be savvy about it on this interwebs thing? Mm -hmm. And is there a, you know, so for me, it was about the customer experience thing. Like that was the driving thing. Like I would never treat a customer as bad as I was treated, you know, Yep. like, but they're getting away with it because they figure there's not a lot of options for people to go.
0: And that's exactly the experience I had had too. It was the same type of thing. And, uh, You know, it's funny that you bring that up. I never really thought about it. But, you know, as well as I know about you, Mm -hmm. you have always gone the extra mile to make sure the customer was satisfied. I mean, even at the early days of us being friends... You know, I remember when we filmed the the Boogie Street DVD that was going Absolutely. out. Absolutely, the very yeah. first one. Yeah, two thousand four. I mean, that was one of the first things I brought up, and it ended up being the opening sequence was. of your thing. It was. I got to go back and watch that. I heard it on your. <laughs> it was the opening on your website every it time. Was. I'd, I'd it was. Go to your w- website, and I hear my voice every time. After a while, it, it got a little old, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm like. <sighs> <laughs> it was all. In all but, the
1: recording was rather primitive, but it yeah, worked. It got yeah. the message across.
0: Yeah, but you know the, the customer service aspect, and you know I've, you as well as I have, have both done things in the, the businesses we've been involved in mm-hmm. where, yeah, I've definitely gone the extra mile to make sure a customer was happy on no the doubt things to the you know, point of because you, you
1: understood know, it pays you back in the end. You need to take yes. a, initially you take a hit, yeah. and, and Dave, yeah. so let's talk about that. So that's where oh, I sure. think that's where I think. Maybe it all kind of goes. We, I believe you and I understood the fact that the reward is not immediate. It's out there. Right, right. Maybe. Right. And I won't take the risk to do it, but we were willing to take our hits early on. Sure. Because we could see the bigger picture. And I think that that is required for most successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But I think it's harder for a younger person to get past the bullshit now to kind of create that longer view. I think everybody's kind of geared toward immediacy because our whole world's full of immediacy. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It just takes a longer view, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, like I said, I've I've gone the extra mile to make sure customers are taken care of and but, you know, back in the several years ago with with Big Bang Comics, you know, I had a customer that we were holding holding books for. You know, that's kind of how a comic book store works. A lot of a lot of your regulars will come in and they say, hey, I want, you know, Batman and Spider-Man and whatever titles. And you say, okay. And you keep a list for them. And then as those books come out, so they don't have to stop in every week and risk missing something. Right. You set them aside and hold them for them. So I had a customer that, you know, younger generation, we held the stuff for them. After about two months, we still were holding stuff for them. You know, I had called... After a month, that was kind of our policy. If you haven't picked up within a month, we'll give you a call to remind you, oh, yeah, well, I'm having some health issues, and, you know, can you hold them for a while? He goes, I'll definitely be in to pick them up. Sure. I mean, I, I am fully aware of what happens when you have health issues. There's other bills to pay, and life sure. goes on. I get it. 100%. Now, you know, if anyone's going to get it, it's me on that no aspect. No doubt. You know, and, you know, so it went on for another month, and we got to two months. And I called it again and I said, hey, any chance you might be able to pick some of this stuff up? Because we pay everything for it the week that we get it in. So, you know, someone hasn't picked their stuff up for two months. You know, it's essentially like it's like if you didn't pay your electric bill for two months. You know, I mean, we get to two months and the stuff's there. And they just kind of threw a hissy fit about the whole thing. And next thing I know, I'm seeing all these negative reviews popping up. I was like. What the, what the heck? You know, I've seen re- reviews about how, you know, oh, these guys, you know, are a great shop, but if you're running behind on your stuff, they will hassle you through emails and all this other stuff. And I was like, really? I'm like, where's the button that I can put out there that says, hey, this person didn't pay their bill for two months. Mm-hmm. I was just calling to find out when they were going to. And this, you know, that's how things go because you know the immediacy it's
1: a it's a it's a different like playing field and i have not been in retail for my gosh like eight years (laughs) i'm thinking about maybe entering in that in some capacity or shortly but again um in in some capacity but i'm aware that it's a different market now the expectance the what a client expects, what the public expects now in terms of right. service or what sure. they perceive service to be is probably changed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, I mean, back in the day when you were selling guitars and I was selling pinball machines and some other sorted things that I'd sold you know, on the Internet, you know, you and I, just because of how we were wired at the time, if someone paid, we shipped immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just. That's how we did it. It's not how everybody did it at the time. Some people would tell you, oh, it should be out within a week or so, and then we'll send you a trip. Yeah, we never
1: floated money. Especially, we never played with other people's money.
0: If someone paid for it, the stuff was out the door. It was just easier as a business person. I wanted
1: wanted it out onto the next one.
0: I would rather, yeah, you don't want to, you know, suddenly you're looking around, you go, oh, I forgot to ship so-and-so's thing. I forgot to ship this. Just ship it as soon as you're paid for it. It it wasn't that uncommon. But now... Every, they won it yesterday. Yeah, everybody. Because of Amazon. Yeah,
1: they kind of skewed the yeah, whole landscape.
0: Yeah, and it's always—it goes back to the oh, can you include shipping for free? Well, you know, <laughs> in the pinball days, you know, that's not—it's uh, not like throwing a a, a a piece of paper in a priority mail envelope. You know, that involved no. crating and freighting and yeah, yeah, one hundred and fifty to three hundred dollar. <laughs> Freight charges to get stuff shipped out, you
1: know. I remember free shipping was a thing that I tried for a while. I even tried free yeah. international shipping, and it kind of worked. Um, well, we built a little bit into the price, but I was able sure. to find happy mediums and so forth. So right. I, I was aware that free shipping was a thing before, yep. long before Amazon was around. Yep. But it was, there were so many variables in there. Yeah. You know, it would depend on whether your box ended up being dim-weighted or not based upon measurements. Right. And you just never really kind of knew.
0: <laughs> right. Well, there was always that. And, you know, it was easy enough back in the day that we could say, okay, this, this box weighs 20 pounds. This is the shipping charge. But then when you go to insure it, you know, that 20-pound box might be worth $5 or it might be worth $5,000. And there's a big difference in that insurance Absolutely. charge on there. Yeah. So suddenly, you know, your shipping that was normally $20 is suddenly, you know, it's 175
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing ended up being, you know, how much risk, how much exposure am I willing to risk there? Right. Do I want to spend, do I want to cover the extra $30 for the... Extra insurance, or can I take the risk? It's going to be just fine, then it'll be fine, (laughs) yeah. And it's like you just really, it's a you know, and those are the things about entrepreneurship. I mean, you have to have this, you have to have the stomach for it, yeah. You know,
0: yeah. I got nervous just uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, grading is a big thing these days for comic books, you know, there's a company down in Sarasota, Florida called CGC, and they are kind of like the premier. You know, if you're going to have something graded, CGC is the one that you typically want to go to for comic books. Okay. You know, they're the the known one that has, you know, the best, typical, legit grading on stuff. They're the most credible. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I have, uh, I had acquired some very early Spider-Man comics, like in the issue number 2 through 10-ish range. Right. And I shipped them down there, and... You know, the value of the package was around $10,000 mm-hmm. of comics that you don't normally find very often. Mm-hmm. I was a nervous wreck. I bet. I mean, yeah, they were insured, but, <laughs> you know, getting the insurance money and actually being able to find those items again, you know, it, it had been a while since I had shipped anything where I was constantly checking the tracking going, where are they at? Making sure, you know, it didn't suddenly disappear from the tracking system.
1: Yeah. It's funny you said that because I was thinking earlier today, if I um, go forward on some retail stuff and I enter um, an arrangement where I'll be insuring things for different amounts, Mm -hmm. how cavalier I was four or five, six years into my (laughs) business about just shipping, you know, two, three, five, $8,000 items, you know, putting some insurance on some and some on not, and
0: mm-hmm. just
1: going about my day, just going about my, you know, and not overly worrying about every little thing. And I'm not yeah. really sure. Am I still wired like that? I'm not sure that I am. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm, I'm a different person eight years in. I don't know yeah. if I don't know if I'm wired that way anymore. I, we're gonna maybe find out. You find out. But it's. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and those are tough decisions for entrepreneurs especially young ones sure you know i mean early on with me i remember shipping was a big thing because i found it really easy in the late 90s early, early hotel yeah. ups was wonderful oh, to deal with yeah then this this company called DHL came and visited me early on and huh. gave me unbelievable they, rates. They
0: wanted all of our business. Yeah, because they were trying they, to compete. And, with and they were UPS. To, and the rates were <laughs> yeah.
1: like really insane. So yeah. then I, then all of a sudden UPS, oh you negotiate too? I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, so it, I, well, those are just yeah. part of the tapestry of learning and 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 mm-hmm. becoming a better entrepreneur. But the shipping thing is interesting there's risk involved and you know it's uh, it's interesting yeah and it's your level of tolerance
0: yeah i hate to say it not everybody out there is honest i mean if you're working at a shipping company and you see a box this big roll through that says it's worth ten thousand dollars i mean how hard is it for something like that to just disappear
1: what's changed in society because i never um I yeah, will tell you how crazy it was, Dave. We used to ship boxes out that had Gibson's logo all over Because oh, I was a big
0: kind of like I'm aware
1: used Gibson dealer when I first started and yeah. they had and Gibson, as insane as this is, Gibson loved putting fancy logos on their corrugated boxes, which yeah. makes no bloody sense yeah. whatsoever. It
0: identifies it immediately I think as they're still doing this it. is worth a lot a of a picture money. of
1: Orville on there. I mean I I, yeah. I think they're still doing it. Yeah. But but whereas when I worked with Washburn, there was some boxes went out that said U.S. music, but it was mm-hmm. rare that it would label it as a guitar. Right. But to me, I would rather ship the thing out with no identifying marks at all. It just Absolutely. makes more business sense to me. Yeah. But I never, I look back at it now like it, it wasn't a detriment. Shipping was not a detriment to considering doing business. You know, where I no. look at it now, it's a yeah, bigger risk. I think now.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of people, even back when you and I were shipping stuff, because I mean, I, I dabbled in the guitar stuff for a while too, and and doing, you know, a lot of guys just wouldn't ship internationally. I love that. And they're like, a, oh, it's too much of a hassle. I'm like, what? Filling out the oh, the paperwork?
1: they did it all so, online eventually. It yeah, it
0: online. Yeah, you put the person's name in for the address and all that stuff, and to put it all in the right place on the customs. There, it wasn't like the, you had to have some special customs that, degree. Isn't sh- that anything.
1: interesting? Because yes, by being willing to adopt international shipping early on, it was a different a different. Differentiation. Differentiation. I can't pronounce that word. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that thing. It, it it separated Boogie Street to a degree from a lot of other people competing with me because sure. I would do what they wouldn't do. Yeah, and I used to say it's really not that hard. And my international no. customers really wanted the stuff sometimes yeah. way more than my domestic customers did.
0: Exactly. And and in back to the whole shipping and whether to insure it and not insure it. Honestly, I only had one experience. Out of the stuff that I've shipped, I shipped a flying V to Greece, which disappeared somewhere. And after about six months, you know, the shipper finally <laughs> cut me a check for for that piece. It wasn't quite all, all that the piece was worth, but, you know, at least I got something back out of it other than a, oh, well, so sad, you know, too bad, so sad type of thing.
1: I, I yeah. I say tell people that story. I think of all the thousands of guitars that we sold and shipped yeah. directly from Boogie Street. I only had one claim ever, and it was uh, just this real sparkly GMP guitar. It was a Les Paul <laughs> copy. I'll never forget. It had an American flag. with sparkles. Yeah. and I, I just happened to be shipping it to a customer down south, and the headstock was cracked, and UPS was... Like Johnny on the spot, I had it fully insured, and yeah. within two weeks I had my check. He paid and for it. Yeah, I mean, I never really—it was never an issue. But I can see how, I can see how today, you know, there's some trepidation. Uh, I, I yeah. Maybe it was I can't imagine society was more honest then.
0: I, mean, it, I can't it, imagine it was any different. Yeah. No, no. But, but yeah, but <laughs> I probably just, just heard about less things.
1: Yeah, that's probably you know, the case
0: because of the lack of social media.
1: Yeah, I I think (laughs) so. But Amazon's kind of certainly spoiled uh, humanity in the immediacy of things. I mean, and I just can't. So I'm going to be very interested to see how, if we go forward, like what's going to be the expectations. Because I'm going to hold firm to my normal path of of full disclosure and all that stuff. But I'm not going to be killing myself to ship same day.
0: See, the t- next day, but not same day. Today, not only would you have to, you know, ship same day, but you'll need your Boogie Street van to deliver it <laughs> and take a picture of it on their porch. <laughs> and be sure to include a hat. Eh? Oh, my God, a
1: T-shirt. <laughs> that was worth the days, brother. Yes. Buddy, I, yeah. I really appreciate you doing this. Sure. I had a great time, man. Yeah. And uh, you'll be back. We'll do some um, other other panel shows and
0: We've bring you into the full lots Friends to talk series. about.
1: We do. We have some ideas as well too, but uh, your friendship means a lot to me and I'd be remiss not sending an incredible shout out to your beautiful mother. She's <laughs> always been so kind <laughs> to me and she's and since I started this project, she has been like my biggest fan. She's a and frequent reposter. She is. And she, she spreads the words. So Mrs. B. Thank you. We love you. And I really appreciate all of you. And thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Bang Comics and Collectibles in Swickley. How can they reach you besides the website?
0: Um, what's, your
1: pre- what's your preferred method of conversation? Whether Is it coming through social media? Is Facebook big for you? Is
0: Stop in at the shop. Big stop Bang in. Comics and stop Collectibles in, we'll in
1: Swickley. Go see the man, Dave Bishop, ladies and gentlemen. We stop. are out. Peace. Peace.